0: We're reading from Leviticus today, uh, 26, 3 to 20. If you follow my decrees and are careful to obey my commands, I will send you rain in its season, and the ground will yield its crops and the trees their fruit. Your threshing will continue until great harvest, and the grape harvest will continue until planting, and you will eat all the food you want and live safely in the land. I will grant peace in the land, And you will lie down, and no one will make you afraid. I will remove wild beasts from the land, and the sword will not pass through your country. You will pursue your enemies, and they will fall by the sword before you. Five of you will chase a hundred, and a hundred of you will chase ten thousand, and your enemies will fall by the sword before you. I will look on you with favor, and make you fruitful, and increase your numbers, and I will keep my covenant with you. You will still be eating last year's harvest, when you will have to, make it, to move it out to make room for new. I will put my dwelling place among you, and I will not abhor you. I will walk among you and be your God, and you will be my people. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, so that you will no longer be slaves to the Egyptians. I broke the bars of your yoke and enabled you to walk with, hand, with heads held high, but if you will not listen to me and carry out these commands, and if you reject my decrees and abhor my laws and fail to carry out all my commands and so violate my covenant, then I will do this to you. I will bring on you sudden terror, wasting diseases, and fever that will destroy your sight and sap your strength. You will plant seed in vain because your enemies will eat it. I will set my face against you so that you will be defeated by your enemies. Those who hate you will rule over you, and you will flee even when no one is pursuing you. If after all this you will not listen to me, I will punish you for your sins seven times over. I will break down your stubborn pride and make the sky above you like iron and the ground beneath you like bronze. Your strength will be spent in vain, because your soil will not yield its crops, nor will the trees of your land yield their fruit.
1: Over the past few weeks, we've been walking through this Old Testament book of Leviticus, and I thought I'd just give a really quick uh, recap of where we've been so far. We started off talking about offerings and more offerings, and we learned precisely how to tear apart a bird for a burnt offering. But we also learned that we are invited to come near to God, and ultimately that Jesus has made a way for us to do that. The following week, we learned about neighbors and aliens, and we learned that we shouldn't stick out our foot to trip a blind person. But we also learned that a faithful life is demonstrated by the way that we treat one another. And then last week, we learned about being clean and unclean, and Kristen taught us that we shouldn't eat camels or spiders or apparently bacon. But what we really learned is that we are called to live lives that are wholly devoted to God. We've been learning how to read the spirit of Leviticus without getting lost in the details. And so as we wrap up this short series, I hope that we can all leave it behind with a greater appreciation for the Bible. That even its more uninspiring pages tell a story of faith, hope, and love, inviting us to find our own place in the great story that God is writing. Now, I couldn't help but notice as I was preparing this week that today's date is exactly one month until Christmas Day. And aside from God, who else does this passage from Leviticus 26 remind you of? Someone who's making a list, checking it twice, going to find out who's naughty or nice. That's right, Santa Claus. Santa. Now, you look at this picture, you may think, well, that's a thin-looking Santa. That's actually Jude last Christmas. Um, He grabbed a Santa suit on, and he wanted to kind of do an imitation of the Bigfoot photo, so you can see he did a pretty good job there. Uh, This was just in our backyard, but then he actually decided that he would walk around our neighborhood dressed up like Santa, and so he walks around the neighborhood, and he's wishing everyone a Merry Christmas, and the kids are like, what's going on? He's like, just getting ready, just checking things out, you know. Anyways, it was a lot of fun. Okay, but what does it say that we are talking about God and Santa in the same sentence? Like, that's just a little awkward, isn't it? Well, this is what it says. It says that children are quite easily motivated by a promise of reward. So let's take a look. Leviticus 26, 3 and 4. If you follow my decrees and are careful to obey my commands, I will send you rain in its season and the ground will yield its crops And the trees, their fruit. Now, as we talked about in the first week of this series, Leviticus is primarily about the rebirth of a nation that had been enslaved for generations. The Israelites had been slaves in Egypt, and here they are now set free, and their nation is, in a sense, being reborn. They're starting over in childhood again. Verse 13 I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt so that you would no longer be slaves to the Egyptians. And so Leviticus is about the redefining of Israel as the people of God. They are no longer slaves. And so in their redefinition as the people of God, they've got to start at the beginning. Because in many ways, the people of Israel were like children. They had to learn all over again what it meant to be a nation that would represent God to the world around them. Now much of Leviticus, as we've been understanding over the last few weeks, amounts to instructions on what to do and what not to do. All of these rules, the naughty list, the nice list. Now here in chapter 26, Moses relays the news of what God will do in response to obedience. So here are all of the things that you've got to do. In chapter 26, God says, and if you do all these things, if you keep everything that I've commanded, then this is what's going to happen. I will grant peace in the land, and you will lie down, and no one will make you afraid. Now a promise like this means basically nothing to us. Because we live in a peaceful land. We all go to sleep at the end of the day without fearing for our life. We don't think that anyone's going to come into our tent and and stab us with a sword. None of us live in that fear. But you have to remember, for a nation of desert-dwelling nomads, a promise of rain and an abundant harvest might have been the best news of all, matched only by a promise of peace and security and safety. I will look on you with favor and make you fruitful, and increase your numbers, and I will keep my covenant with you. God reminds them of the ancient covenant he made with their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and announces that if they do their part, he will do his. I will walk among you and be your God, and you will be my people. Now being motivated by a reward is fair enough as a child, but in time our motivation needs to come from somewhere else, from within ourselves. I was listening recently to a podcast, and they were talking about this study that was done um, that where they were talking about creativity and how they did this research. And at one point, they offered people a reward for doing something creative. And what they found is that people who were offered a reward for being creative actually showed less creativity than participants who were offered no reward at all. One person wrote in response to the study, following reward, individuals spend less time performing an activity and stated they like the activity less as compared to a control group that performed the task without reward. You see, as we grow up in life, as we mature as people, eventually we, we do things just because we enjoy doing them or because they need to be done. But when we're children, we need to be rewarded to do even the simplest of things. It's one thing to be rewarded for something you're not interested in, kind of coaxed into it, But if you're interested, a reward is often no longer necessary. Parker Palmer writes that no reward anyone might give us could possibly be greater than the reward that comes from living by our own best lights. That's a statement of maturity. It's another way of saying that when we live the way that God has created us to live, we realize that the reward is in the living. Life itself is reward enough when we live that way. As our faith matures... We can learn to be thankful for whatever God does provide, knowing that our decision to follow him is no longer influenced by what we expect in return. Now, speaking of expectations, what do you expect when you punch in a code at the car wash? You know what I'm talking about. You drive in the thing, and there's a little box there, and it says, enter your code. What do you expect? I'll tell you what I expect. I expect to have my car washed and to drive away. A couple weeks ago, I dropped Sophia off at an early morning practice, and by early, I mean 6 o'clock, so really early in the morning. But I was wide awake by the time I dropped her off, uh, and I thought, oh, geez, maybe I should get a car wash. 6 o'clock in the morning? like no, There's not going to be a lineup. I know that much. So I go over to the car wash, and sure enough, it opened at 6. It was like 6.15, and I pull up, and I punch in my code, and nothing happens. I'm like, oh, come on. So I punched the code in again, and it's like, wrong code. I'm like, yeah, because I already did it, and nothing happened. So I hit the little buzzer, the help thing, no answer. Hit the little buzzer again, waited a minute, honked my horn a couple times. I'm thinking maybe the employee will come out. Hit the buzzer again. I'm out here. Car rush isn't working. Honked the horn a couple times. Eventually, this young gal comes out, and she waves. And I said, yeah, uh, it's not working. She says, okay, give me a minute. So she runs into the little building there, and then she comes out, and she kind of motions to roll down the window. And she says, can you come in here with me? I'm thinking, this is really weird. So I back the car up because I couldn't open my door with the the thing there. And so I get out and I walk into this like building with her. I'm thinking, is this like some weird setup or what's going to happen to me in here? Um, But as soon as I get in, she goes, oh, no, it's okay. It's okay. I got it. I got it. There was something that was stuck and and I thought I'd need your help, but it's okay. So you should be good now. So I get back in the car and and sure enough, the thing rolls up and I begin to move forward. If you want, like, a really weird experience in life, go through a car wash without any water. Because that's what happened to me next. So I started going through the car wash. This picture here, so this, I took this out the back window, is me going through this car wash. Look, my car is moving, like, about this fast, and it's silent. No water, no soap, no nothing. And I'm like, this is just ridiculous. I'm expecting the whole time it's going to kick in. But no, it doesn't. And then it's, the story's not over. I get to the end, and the garage door closes. And so here I am, stuck now in the car wash. I'm like, this is just ridiculous. Who does this happen to? Me. So I start honking the horn again. knowing. I'm thinking, it looked like there was a switch on the wall that might have been some kind of emergency thing. But I thought, if I get out of this car, you know it's going to happen. As soon as I get out, you know, and I'm just going to be blasted laying on the ground and look like a wet dog coming out of the lake or something. Anyways, so I'm honking the horn again. Five minutes later, the girl comes out, and she's, like, looking at me. I'm like, ah, hello. So, again, a couple minutes go by. Eventually, the thing rolls up, and I leave. So not exactly what I expected when I went to get a car wash. We all recognize the injustice of someone not following through on their word. When When we do something punch in the code, we expect something else to happen. Get a car wash. And when someone doesn't follow through on the word, we're like, this is wrong. This doesn't make sense here. So it shouldn't have surprised the Israelites to hear that while there would be rewards for their obedience, there would also be punishments if they violated the covenant. So God says, okay, here's the deal. Here's what I'm giving you. And if they don't respond, well, there's going to have to be a consequence now. So this is what we read in 26 verses 14 to 16. If you will not listen to me and carry out all these commands, and if you reject my decrees and abhor my laws and fail to carry out my covenants and so violate my covenant, then I will do this to you. Do what? Bring sudden terror, wasting diseases, a failed harvest, enemies in pursuit. See, not many of us would have a problem embracing promises of blessing from God. But I bet the concept of punishment for disobedience is somewhat less appealing to us. Yeah, God, we're okay with the half of the equation that says if we do what you say, you're going to bless us. That's fair. But the part where you say if we don't do it, you're going to punish us, we don't like that. For some reason, we don't think that's fair. But our actions carry consequences. And that's not just Leviticus. It's not just the Bible where that happens. It's life where that happens. I read this headline this week. Teenager loses his driving license after 49 minutes. It was a story out of Germany, and they actually posted it on their social media. It says, some things hold for eternity, some not even an hour. And this kid gets his license, and less than an hour later is caught going 95 in a 50. And the cops are like, are you kidding me? There goes the license. Like, that didn't last very long. No, there are consequences to our actions. Driving is a privilege. It's not a right. Being God's people is likewise a privilege. Verse 18 says, if if after all this you will not listen to me, I will punish you for your sins seven times over. God's like, "If, if if you don't listen, there's going to be this consequence. And if you don't listen again, there's going to be this consequence. And if you don't, if you just keep it up, I'm just going to have to punish you like seven times over. Now, if the promises and accompanying threats of Leviticus 26 sound harsh to you, consider how different they really are from what nearly every parent says to nearly every child. If you eat up your supper, you can have some cake for dessert. But if you will not listen to me, then you will not have any dessert. Mmm, this cake is so yummy. We all do that, same thing. The child grows up a little bit. If you clean up your room and stop fighting with your sister, we can watch a family movie tonight. But if you will not listen to me, then you will go to bed early instead. Child grows a little older. If you put the dishes away after dinner, you can play games on your phone. But if you will not listen to me, I will turn off your Wi-Fi until you do. Child continues to grow. If you finish mowing the lawn, I will let you have the car tonight. But if you will not listen to me, then you will have to take the bus or call yourself an Uber. Now, of course, these are just random examples, not taken from my own family. Well, the point is that we humans seem to be wired to cut corners to get away with whatever we can. And we need the loving guidance of parents or caregivers to A, keep us alive, and B, help us thrive in life. Now, I don't raise my children so that they will do everything I say for the rest of their lives. That's not the point of parenting. But if I want to raise them well, I do need to expect obedience in the short term. Now, think about a parent who has no rules, no guidelines, no punishments, Would you want to know that child as an adult? A child who never had to clean their room, who never had to put the dishes away, and who never had to mow the lawn. Would you want to know that child? Heck no. Maybe you do know that person, and now you realize why they are the way they are. You're welcome. But I suppose the key difference between these examples in Leviticus 26 is that in the passage we heard this morning, it's adults who are receiving this loving guidance. And when it comes to receiving Loving guidance from other adults? Well, we don't like that quite so much. It's like this card I found. Dear mother-in-law, thanks for your recent visit. You're unwanted and unsolicited advice on how to run my own home is always appreciated. Dripping with sarcasm. Now, we don't like advice from adults. Once we are grown up, we don't want anyone else to tell us that there are consequences for our actions. These adult Israelites might have been content to be treated like children when it came to the reward side of the equation, but I'm sure they bristled when it came to punishment the same chapter verse 26 we read when i cut off your supply of bread 10 women will be able to bake your bread in one oven and they will dole out the bread by weight you will eat but you will not be satisfied you may be able to scrape by if you live this way but you'll never be satisfied when we neglect god and fail to live as we were created, we will never be truly satisfied. The thing about these threats of punishment is that God doesn't actually need to follow through. Gautama Buddha said, you will not be punished for your anger, you will be punished by your anger. And I think a lot of us know what he's talking about here. A life lived over against the commands of God, it self-destructs. And it also impacts other lives. Not only does it, Destruct itself, but it, it ruins the lives of the people around us too. N.T. Wright said, when humans fail in their image bearing vocation, the problem is not just that they face punishment. The problem is that the Creator's plan for His creation cannot go ahead as intended. So there are natural consequences to our not living the way we've been created to live, but it's not just us that we affect. Remember, the blessing of Israel was only one step along the way to a global blessing. That was why God called the people unto himself. Not so just he could take care of them, but so the whole world would be blessed. And so in a sense, by their disobedience, it punished themselves, but it also punished all kinds of other people who they were supposed to be a blessing to. Thomas Kempis wrote many years ago, for a small reward, a man will hurry away on a long journey. While for eternal life, many will hardly take a single step. Now Leviticus presents us with a challenge and a choice. The challenge is to live a life wholly devoted to God, and the choice is whether we will accept the challenge or not. When I think about my own journey of faith, there was a season when I, like the Israelites, probably needed God to be up there doling out punishments and rewards. I think there's a a stage of life, like when I think back, I think I kind of needed that motivation the threat of punishment or of disappointing God, the the promise of some kind of reward if I did what was good. I think it was probably a good thing for me to think about God in that way when I was kind of young in my faith. But over the years, my understanding of who God is has changed. And this Santa Claus version of God, who is up there giving out rewards and giving out punishments, well, it's faded away. And it's being replaced on an ongoing basis with a more experiential understanding of God as the one who is with us, which is what we're about to celebrate in the season of Advent. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. In Leviticus, God revealed himself as a punisher and a rewarder. That was how he dealt with his people in their infancy. That was the milk he fed them. In Jesus, God revealed himself as God with us. That's solid food. That's meat. So it's a good thing, maybe, for us to drink kind of the milk of the punishment and reward idea of who God is for a while. Maybe it helps us stay on the straight and narrow but we need to grow up into this understanding, this greater understanding of who God is, who he has revealed himself to be. In his novel, The Life of Pai and Martel writes, the presence of God is the finest of rewards. That's as good as it gets. So as our faith deepens, our decision to follow God through the wilderness that we call life is no longer influenced by what we fear or by what we expect to receive, but it's influenced by love. I want to close with a reading from 1 John. It's one of the latest writings in the New Testament. And it goes to show just how how differently those early Christians in the middle of the first century were thinking about God. Compare what you're about to hear to what you've heard from Leviticus and how people were understanding God. God is the one who punished and the one who would give blessing. And all of a sudden now, words that could not possibly have been written in Leviticus. In 1 John 4, verse 16 and 18 to 19, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. That's the good news right there. Our God is not out there looking to smite and punish. Our God is a God of love. And his love pushes us to love as well. And so, as I've been thinking about this whole book of Leviticus and all of the rules and all of the commands, I think we have to understand all of it within the context of who God has revealed himself to be in Christ. And I would say that a sign of maturity in faith is that our understanding of God shifts in this direction of love. I'd invite you to stand and close in prayer before we head to our discussion. Lord, we can learn so much about how you have interacted with this human race that we are a part of, through the pages of Scripture. And even in a book like Leviticus, where many of us would avoid it because it just seems so foreign. It talks about things that really, apparently have nothing to do with our lives, but as we've been learning, God, it has a lot to do with our lives. There's some incredible things that we're learning through this. So God, I pray that you would continue to help the words of Scripture come to life for us. And I pray that you would continue to reveal to us who you are. And that maybe if some of us have found ourselves stuck on on milk, stuck on a version of you where, where we think it's all about punishment and rewards, that we would, we would listen to the story, the good news of Jesus, God with us, you coming down, you being willing to take the punishment on yourself, because that's not what it's about. And so God, we're grateful for the message of love, for the author of forgiveness, the offer of new life, And I pray that as we gather around tables today that we would use this time to encourage one another, to challenge one another, to press one another on as we continue to mature in this life of faith together as a community. With thanksgiving, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.